We are so glad that you are here with us. My name is Eric, and I am the high school pastor here, and um, I'm filling in for Glenn, and so I'm so excited to be able to share uh, with you all this morning. Before we get started, because um, I know I will just forget, I'll kind of get in that moment, and so uh, let, let me remind us that tonight we are continuing a series that we began at the Hub called The Other Six Days, and uh, tonight we have the privilege of an international speaker and uh, leader leader, Dr. Paul Kack, who's going to be talking about the work that we do and where God is in the middle of that and what God has to say about that and why the work that we do is important to God. And so uh, if you, whether you're uh, at home working, whether you're out in the marketplace working, whatever kind of job you have, whatever kind of work you do, I want to encourage you to come out to the hub tonight. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Um, so, So this morning, we're continuing a series that Pastor Glenn began last week called hope quotient, where we're exploring this reality that kind of all of us have an EQ, all of us have an IQ, well, we also have this HQ, right? We also have this hope quotient. And, and an easy way to define it is this. Your hope quotient is the amount of hope that is active in your life. Your hope quotient is the amount of hope that is active in your life. And as you're going to see, as we talk about this morning, as we explore this entire series, hope is not some kind of dispensable aspect of life that you can kind of take it or leave it. But hope is essential. Hope is necessary. Hope is absolute. And and God created us to need it and to depend on it. And the only way we can thrive in life, in ministry, in family, on mission, is if we have the hope of God living inside of us. And so I'm so glad that you are here with us this morning as we begin this conversation. And it began this week. I was thinking about this story of when I was about 20 years old. And I remember it was, I had just bought my, I just bought my first car and it was an old beat up Toyota Corolla. Now I still actually drive a Toyota Corolla, so I'm not getting down on the Toyota Corollas, but it was my very first Toyota Corolla. And I remember I bought it for a thousand dollars. This was the very first car that I ever owned. And I'd owned the car for about two or three weeks. <laughs> you guys already know where this is going. I'd owned the car for two or three weeks. Now at that time, I was also a junior high ministry leader. Now, now, one thing that junior high ministries are known, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The things that junior high ministries, I love, this is good, okay, that junior high ministries are known for is this, all-nighters, okay? If you run a junior high ministry, you have to at least do one all-nighter. Now, part of the reason I'm a high school pastor is because now with kids, I feel like my life is a perpetual all-nighter, and so I'm not really interested in more of them. So we don't really do as many all-nighters, but junior high ministry, they do all-nighters. And this specific junior high ministry, we had this big, epic all-nighter where we had hundreds of students come, and me and three of my buddies, we were some of the key leaders involved in the junior high ministry. And so all the students showed up at 7 p.m. I think it was a Friday night, 7 p.m. We stayed up all night with them doing ridiculous, crazy activities till about 7 a.m. And then as soon as every student left, we hopped in my Toyota Corolla and drove from Ventura all the way to Lake Tahoe. like seven or eight hours to visit my family. For some reason, we thought this is brilliant, right? Like no sleep, road trip, okay? And this was my very first road trip. And so I was so excited about this road trip. And my buddies, we were so excited. And so I remember we got in the car. We had made like some mixed CDs of all the songs we wanted to listen to. And so we put them in and all of a sudden like Led Zeppelin comes on. You know what I mean? And a little bit of 
like uh, heavy metal and some kind of rock and roll. And we were just like all jazzed on this music and on going crazy. And I remember at one point, and this is me just being vulnerable and you're just going to think, you already think I'm really weird, so I might as well just lay it all out there. But we're driving and all of a sudden one of the guys in the back is like, guys, we need to rip off our shirts. And I'm like, yeah, we do. So boom, we rip off our shirts and all of a sudden we're driving shirtless and people are watching us and they're going, weirdos, you know, but we're going, no, we're 20. And so we're driving and we're so excited and we're cruising down the freeway on the way to Lake Tahoe. And then all of a sudden there's this blinking light on the dashboard that as Leonard Skinner is blasting in the background, we got this blinking light on the dashboard and it's the oil light, right? but there's no time for that because we're just rocking out, right? We're driving, we're going to get there. And so there's this blinking light over and over and over again. And at one point in the drive, I'm realizing as we're going up the Kingsbury grade and as the sun is setting and as there's not very much cell phone reception anymore, I'm driving as, as I'm putting my foot on the accelerator, we're not really going much faster. In fact, we're beginning to slow down and the car's beginning to shake, which Corollas are known for that if you go above 50. So I'm like, you know, this is kind of normal, but it just felt a little abnormal. And so the car's shaking and I'm going, what's going on? And all of a sudden the car goes boom, 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 and just dies, right? Just dies right there. Like doesn't, doesn't turn back on. I don't know what to do. And so we flag down some people and, and they pick, you know, they, they we get their phone and, and we make a call. We're trying to call like uh, police or someone to come and come and help us. And so it turns out that this cop, while we're making this call, the cop, the, a cop pulls up and he's like, guys, I'll, I'll go get you. Uh, you know, I'll take you and we'll go get some oil. And so he puts all of us in the back of his car. Right. And we felt so cool. Now we're not shirtless at this point. Okay. So we have shirts on, um, but but the police officer, you know, we're like in the back of the car. So we're like, yeah, what now? Like we just thought it was so cool. Well, I don't know why. But anyways, we drive to the, we drive to the store and, and, and get some oil. We put some oil in the car and the officer says, I'll follow you for the first mile. And then once you kind of get on your way, I'm going to turn back around and, and you guys will be fine. So put oil in the car. The car starts up. The music begins blaring. We're driving and the cops following us. And, and as we're going, all of a sudden... There's that blinking light again, right? There's that blinking light. And I'm going, no, no, I'll ignore it. Dad will fix it later. I, this is the last thing I need right now. We just got to get to Lake Tahoe. And so the light's blinking. And after about a mile, the police officer pulls back and it's just us on the open road. And as we're on the open road, all of a sudden, the car begins to do the all too familiar slowing down, though I'm putting my foot on the accelerator, we are slowing down. The car's beginning to shake again. And all of a sudden I hear this indescribable noise. It was, it was, it was like, boom, 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 boom. And it felt like a bomb went off in the car. You know what I mean? Like what had actually happened is a piston had blown out from the engine, had hit the ground. And all of a sudden all this smoke started filling the car and started filling around us. And I literally thought one of two things. I was like, maybe I just died and Jesus is going to like come through the smoke and be like, welcome home, Eric. So glad you're here. You know, like I didn't know if that was happening. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. It was like, no, no, no. I might just burn to death. That's like my greatest, that and shark attacks. That's like my greatest fear. So this is my worst nightmare coming true. And I'm, I'm freaking out because smoke is filling the car. We get out of the car and it turns out this car that I bought for a thousand dollars, two or three weeks earlier now was going to cost me $5,000 as a 20 year old to replace the engine. And you know why I tell you that story? Because I think in each of your lives and in my life, there's this blinking light. There's this indicator saying, you need hope. 
You can't live without hope. And oftentimes, because we're workaholics or because we rely way too much on our own strengths or our own gifts, that we feel like, no, 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 you know what? I, I can take care of it by myself. I don't, I don't need to pay attention to that blinking light. And so all of a sudden, the car begins to break down. The car begins to wear down. And, and signs of it are we're snapping at our kids. All of a sudden, we're yelling at our spouse. All of a sudden, that coworker becomes kind of the object of our wrath, whatever it may be, that we find ourselves running so low on fuel, on oil, and this light is blinking, but we just have this tendency to ignore it and say, I'm going to keep pushing forward. And there are many of you in this room that if you're anything like me, and I believe you are, that that light has been blinking for a while, and God wants to say to you, stop. God wants to say to you, I didn't create you to be all sufficient on your own. I didn't create you to somehow live your own life. I actually created you to have a hope quotient and that the only person who could fill that would be God. The only person who could raise that hope quotient would be God. And so as we read a scripture that's gonna kind of jump us into this, this morning what we're talking about is this, is that if you wanna raise your hope quotient, you need to raise your expectations. If you want to raise your hope quotient, you need to raise your expectations because God wants to do unimaginably more than you could ever fathom if you would only allow him. And here's the evidence for that. Romans 15 verse 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch Paul's word? He said, may the God of hope fill you so that, so that you may overflow with hope. You know what God's evangelism strategy is? It's this, fill you with hope so that others see you and they want him. That's God's whole purpose here. He wants to fill your hope quotient so you are so full of his hope that it's spilling over and people see the hope that is active in your life. They see God's work in your life and they go, I don't know what's up with that, but I want more of that. I want some of that. If God's doing that in your life, if you're that kind of person in the midst of this situation, I want more of that in my life. And so what we're gonna talk about for just a few minutes together What does it look like to raise your expectations? Because you don't need a you-sized view of your life. You need a God-sized view of your life. Because a you-sized view of your life is so small, is so temporary, is so circumstantial, is so in the moment. And so what you need, and what I desperately need this morning, is a God-sized view of life. And that has everything to do with our hope quotient. So what we're going to talk about this morning briefly is five attitudes, five practices, five things that you could do to allow your heart room for God to fill you with his hope because he wants to do that. That's who he is. He is the God of hope. And that's what he does is fills us with hope, but it depends on you and I being open to that on you and I being willing for God to do that kind of thing in him. So, so let's explore these together. And we're going to look at some scripture verses that remind us that this is what God is up to. Attitude number one is this. You need to believe that impossible things are possible. 
The first attitude adjustment you need to make so that God could fill your hope quotient and you could overflow with hope is you must believe that impossible things are possible. And one of the best stories and examples of this comes from Mark chapter two, where we see this happen. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, here are these friends who just in their hearts, they believe, you know what? We've seen Jesus do amazing things. We got this buddy of ours who is in a really tough place, who's in a bad situation. And we're going to believe that God wants to do something in his life. And so these friends, they say, you know what? We're going to believe that impossible things are possible only with God. Not on our own, but only with God. And so what they do is they carry their friend to Jesus. They can't get him in the normal way. So they climb up through the roof. They dig out a hole and they drop their friend front and center with Jesus, which was unheard of. Think about how many people that would have offended. Think about how many people would have said, no, that's a hopeless endeavor. And yet because they had hope, because they believed that impossible things are possible, Jesus did the impossible. Jesus did the miraculous before their eyes. And you see, the the thinking that a lot of us have, that I have often, that cripples us, is we just believe things will never change. We just believe that the predicaments we're in, the situations that we're in, the struggles that we have, the, the relationship that we're in, that we just can't see any good coming from it. We just believe it will never change. But you know what's you know what's messed up about that thinking? Is that Einstein talked about when he said the definition of insanity. He said, the definition of insanity is this. What is the definition of insanity? It's. Exactly. (laughs) Sorry, I had a mind blank. No, the definition of insanity is this. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That was an awesome quiz, by the way. You guys did pretty good. I could hear you, actually. You helped me. Thank you. It's this. Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. And so when we're thinking, no, 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 no. God could never change my spouse. No, 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 no. God, God could never reach my kids. No, no, no. My, my neighbors, they've already written me off as a crazy Christian. Oh, God could never have an impact in my neighborhood. See, what the problem with that thinking is what we've done is we said, hey, God, would you take a back seat? I'll take care of it from here. I said, God, I, I got it under control. God, I know what's predictable. I, I know nothing's going to get better. And yet God's going, no, no, no. I'm the king of doing the impossible things. That's in my job description. That's who I am. I do the impossible. And so if you want to fill your hope quotient, the first thing you got to do, the first attitude you got to have to raise your expectations is you got to believe that impossible things will happen. And you know, this church is a great example of that. If you think about a lot of sectors of our society, we kind of break up groups of people into like certain age ranges or interests, you know, like, like at, at work, maybe you have, you have the veterans or the executives who sit over here and then you have the interns who sit over there, you know, or, or in sports or activities that we do, we have different leagues for different ages. And, and oftentimes in the church world, we do the exact same thing. 
We say, okay, we'll put students over here. We'll put seniors over here. We'll put kids over here. And we kind of compartmentalize. But you know what? This church isn't like that. This church, we think differently than that. Because we believe that God wants to use all generations to reach each other. We believe that God wants to use those of you who are older and those of you who are younger to impact one another. And you guys, I had one of my favorite Wednesday nights ever in our high school ministry a few nights ago. And it was the service that we called Generations. There are some of you in this room who have become spiritual grandparents for some of our high school students. And essentially what that means is you've signed up to pray for a group, for a small group. You said, I'll pray for them. And then this small group has prayed for you. And you guys have written prayer requests to each other. And for those of you who don't know about this, this ministry has been going on this entire school year. And a few Wednesday nights ago, we decided to do the impossible. We said, we're going to get our spiritual grandparents and our spiritual grandkids in the same room. And we're going to worship together. And we're going to read God's word together. And we're going to do small groups together. And what happened was unbelievable. I want to show you a few pictures and just read you a few quotes to give you a picture of what this was like. The first comes from Jacob, who's one of our spiritual grandkids, one of our high school students. He says this, it was absolutely amazing to see the people who have been praying over us for the past few months. Their stories and lives are so inspiring. Joan, one of our spiritual grandparents said this, Jerry and I, Jerry's her husband, Jerry and I had such a good time last night with all those wonderful young people. I was speaking with a young, a young man outside when we first got there and he was just so friendly. I found out later in the evening that he is the young man I have been praying for. And then catch this next one. I just love this picture real quick. Do you see what they're doing? They're flexing, Okay. They're flexing and the spiritual grandparents are flexing. I don't know if you can see that, but we got George and David back there literally flexing right now, okay? So this was just an awesome moment in and of itself. And then check out what their leader had to say. Their small group leader said this, last night was amazing. The freshman boys were so open. Does that stun anybody else? The freshman boys were so open, okay? This is a miracle in this small group. This was an incredible, unfathomable night where the freshman boys were so open. And he goes on to say this, the spiritual grandparents shared about their experiences in high school, their stages of life, and even gave relationship advice. The spiritual grandparents kicked down some knowledge and wisdom. They emphasized forgiveness fellowship and spending time in the word. Two more real quick. This is from Andrew, one of our students. He writes, my spiritual grandparent is the kindest person I've had the pleasure of meeting. I'm looking forward to more meetups and opportunities to learn and connect. And then lastly, one of our leaders said, our spiritual grandparent said, before I go to church, I pray that God would speak to me during the service. It was so incredible for the girls to hear that. She reminded us that when our focus is on God, he will show up and speak. You know, one of our spiritual grandparents, she said, you know what? I'd love to have the senior guys over to my house. I'd love to make them dinner and let them do small groups in my home. So here we have a group of senior students and an amazing spiritual grandparent who said, we want to do life together. We want to see God speak to us together. You see, that's what, that's what this church is all about. is every generation intergenerationally speaking to one another. Attitude number two is this. You've got to believe that God has better days ahead. You have to believe that God has better days ahead. And, and one, of, one of the best, probably most popular scriptures from the Old Testament reads like this. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, 
declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You know what this, this word from the Lord says to us? Is that if you don't have faith in your future, if you don't have faith in the future, you will have no power in the present. That if you don't have faith in the future, if you don't have faith that God is going to do something new in your life, that God is going to take your brokenness and your pain and turn it upside down and end up bringing healing and hope and encouragement to people, if you don't believe that God is capable and possible of doing the impossible, if you don't believe that better days are ahead, then you will have no power right now in the present. Because there are some of you who are going through incredibly tough things. There are some of you who, who sit down and, and maybe you're driving your kids to school every day. And you're just going, man, I feel like I have no influence over their life. I feel like I, I'm not speaking anything to them. Or maybe some of you, you, you and your, your wife or your husband have just become very familiar with just being roommates with one another. And the possibility of you guys having any kind of romance or, or reconnecting just seems totally out of the question. Or maybe at work. Maybe there's, there's that boss or, or that coworker that you just go, man, that person is making my life so difficult. There's no hope for me. You know what God reminds us of? That he is the God of the impossible. That he is the God of the better days. That he is the God who says to each one of us in this room, as he said to the people of Israel, he said, I have a plan for you. And it's a good plan. And it's a plan where you will be used for my purposes. It's a plan full of meaning and purpose. And you need to have faith in that future if you want to have power in your presence. And, and what comes along with this is in order to actualize that, you need to realize, which is number three, attitude number three, you need to realize the power of your perspective. That in order to believe that there are better days ahead, you need to realize the power of your current perspective. And so what I want to do for a second is I want to look at the verses that come right before Jeremiah 29 11. The verses that come right before that give us the context for where the people of Israel are. And Jeremiah 29 beginning in verse 4 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You see, Babylon would be the worst place for a God-worshipping Jew. It'd be the worst place for any Israelite to go. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. They've heard tales of the horrific things that have happened in Babylon. And yet God says this to them. This is his encouragement. This is his command to them as they are in exile in Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and or find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers you too will prosper. You see, what God gave the people of Israel was an amazing gift. He said, I'm going to give you the power and the ability to have a perspective switch, to have a perspective change on this whole situation because they're going into Babylon and they're going, I just can't wait to get out of here. And maybe there's some of you that, that you live in a neighborhood and you're going, I just can't wait to get out of this neighborhood. Or you have a job and you go, I just can't wait to get out of this job because I can't handle these people that I'm working with. 
Maybe there's some of you, if I could just be bold and say, I can't, you're going, I can't wait to get out of this marriage. I can't wait to get out of this situation, this friendship, whatever it may be. And maybe what God wants to say to you this morning is you need to have a perspective reversal. You need to have a, a perspective change that maybe, maybe you're in a Babylon season that maybe you're in a place that you don't like, that, that you wish would change. And maybe the one thing God wants to say to you is settle down. Establish some roots here. Because I want to do the impossible through you. Because I want to fill you with so much hope. I want to increase your hope quotient so that you're overflowing with hope. And you might impact those places that you think you have zero influence in. That I might want to use you in the relationship. I might want to restore the relationship that you're saying is as good as dead. Because what does God do? He takes dead things and brings them to life. That's what God does. And so if you're in a dead-like situation, if you're in a dead-like relationship, there is no better person to go to than the God of the universe who takes dead things and brings them back to life. The God who fills us with enough hope that we would overflow with hope in the midst of of our brokenness, in the midst of this horrific situation, in the midst of unemployment, in the midst of whatever issue you're going through, that God might want to overflow you with hope. That people might look at you and they would see him. That people might look at you and say, I want him. I want a relationship with that God. If you're that way, if God's done that in you, I need some of that. And I want to be in a relationship with him. So you need to realize that there is power in your perspective. And we just got two more. The fourth one is this. You need to begin to replace fear with faith. You need to begin to replace the fear that you live under, the worry, the anxiety that you have, the fear, the assumption that things will never change. Whatever that crippling fear is for you, you need to replace that. With faith, And I think there's no better passage in scripture where we see, we see Joshua as he is entering in to become the leader of the people of Israel. He is encouraged with this because this encouragement is exactly what he needed and it's exactly what we need. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 and then verse 8, it says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. Don't be afraid or terrified because of your circumstances. Do not be afraid or terrified because of the results that you've anticipated. Don't be afraid, but instead, believe because the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. Could you say that again? He will never leave you. Friends, God will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. Nor forsake you. For the Lord himself, he actually goes before you and will be with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But you see, if you want to have faith, this isn't something that you just stand there and go, okay, I'm going to have faith and no more fear, right? That doesn't work. You need to be so connected to God. You need to be so connected to the father that it is not, faith does not come from within. Faith comes from him, 
Faith does not come from just within you hoping for it. Faith only comes from a connected relationship with God. And I was thinking about something this week, an experience that I had a little bit ago where I went on a police ride along. Okay, now if any of you know me, you know that I've talked about this before. I love police ride alongs. I like actually really legitimately love going on police ride alongs. Okay, and there's a lot of things that I love in my life. Like I really love my family. Um, I really love ministry. Um, I really love Chick-fil-A. I love a lot of things. Okay, but but there's one thing also that I just really, really love is going on police ride-alongs. Like, it's just the adrenaline. It's, it's exciting. It's awesome. And, and you're seeing kind of how, how the police officers are working and stuff. And so I went on a police ride-along with the sheriff recently. And we went to a city that has amazing potential. And God is doing so much amazing stuff in that city. And yet at the same time, there's a lot of crime and there's violence in that city. And so I went with a sheriff who's, who's a part of this church and, and, and him and I, I wanted to just kind of hang out with him a little bit and see what he did. And so, so I get in the passenger seat with him and we go on our very first call. And our very first call was there had been a shooting. Now, everybody was, everybody was fine. They went to the hospital. Nobody died. It was, it was okay. So um, it's not okay, but it was, everyone was fine. So we pull up all of a sudden to this shooting. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat and uh, the sheriff my, my buddy, he says, hey, well, why, don't, why don't you stay in the car and I'm going to go out? And I'm like, heck no, I am not staying in the car. Are you kidding me? Like, you may look at me and you go, Eric, you could totally defend yourself. I can't. I can't defend myself at all. I get scared in the middle of the night all the time. Like, all the time, I'm scared in the middle of the night. I have this crazy routine where I go downstairs and, like, lock all the doors and then I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll think I hear a noise and I'll be like... Sarah, why don't you go check the house? You know, like I'm terrified. I'm scared. I get really, really scared. So I'm not, I'm not like going to just sit in this car and be like, oh yeah, you take care of it while I'm just like sitting here. I don't know what's possible. So I said this, I said, no, no, no. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to be like right behind you, man. Like I am sticking next to you. Like you're going to turn around. You're going to see me staring at, I'm going to be right there next to you. And so the entire night, the entire night, I am so close to this sheriff. Because in this environment that I was in, I didn't necessarily feel safe on my own. I didn't necessarily feel like I could handle myself on my own. But you put me next to this like buff, awesome sheriff. And I was like, what now? <laughs> like I had this, I had this kind of confidence. I had this strength. I had this sense of I'm going to be okay. And I remember thinking throughout the night, like what happens if all of a sudden he runs away and it's literally just me standing there? Like I, I, I honestly, I, I had 911 like ready to go, you know, even though I'm with a sheriff, I had 911 ready to go. And I was like, I, I might just like cry and just curl up and see what happens. You know, like I have nothing on my own, but when I'm, when I'm with him, when I'm connected to him, I could face anything. We could go on any call. And I wasn't scared because I was connected to the sheriff. And you know, the same goes with God. That on your own, <laughs> it's going to sound kind of funny, but on your own, you should be afraid. <laughs> on your own, what do you got? On your own, you don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. On your own, there's probably no hope for your marriage. On your own, there's, I don't know what your, your kids are going to go crazy. Who knows what's going to happen on your own, you know? But when we are so connected to God, that we're clinging to him. And we're not trying to do anything on our own. We can have faith. Because faith doesn't come from within. Faith comes from him. Faith comes from a relationship with him. And that changes everything. And the last attitude that we're going to talk about is you need to replace what ifs in your life, the what ifs for why not. You need to play that mindset of what if that coworker insults me or what, what, what if my friends reject me? 
Or what, what if I share about God to my neighbors and all of a sudden I stop getting invited to things? Or, or what if, what if, what if? We need, we need to get rid of that mindset and start thinking like God who's going, I'm filling you with hope so that you can overflow. So why not tell the world about him? Why not tell your neighbors? Why not go and live so on fire for Jesus that people look at you and they want him? Why not? Why wouldn't you do that? That's the last guy in scripture that we're gonna look at is Nehemiah who lived this out so well. We're going to look at just a few verses real quick together. Nehemiah 1 verse 3 begins this way. They said to me, this is a group of people who are telling Nehemiah the tragic news of the state of the temple. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been buried, have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, Nehemiah says, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and then jumped to chapter two, beginning in verse two. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the, God, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So the king said to Nehemiah, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. See, God put this vision, this picture. He filled Nehemiah with so much hope that it was overflowing, that he had the courage to ask the king to leave his current station, his current position and do what God had called him to do. And what's interesting is if, as you read the story, you quickly find out Nehemiah, his position was cup bearer. He had very little influence. He had very little wealth. He had very little potential as a lot of people would look at him. And at any second, the king could have killed him. The king could have imprisoned him. The king could have done a lot of things. And yet God put this passion in his heart. God filled him with so much hope that he stopped asking, what if this bad thing happened? That he said, why not tell them the good news? Why not rebuild? Why not do what God has called me to do? Because you see, every challenge in your life, every crisis is actually an opportunity. Every struggle, every moment that you go, there's no redeeming quality in this. That is when God enters in and say, oh, I'm the king of redemption. I will redeem this situation. So for a few seconds, real quick, I want to talk about students. I want you to know about the state of, of our students and, and some of what they're thinking and, and, and how you, by the grace of God, who's filling you with hope, how you could overflow that hope and impact students' lives. You know, students are asking three primary questions right now. It's actually the same questions we're asking, but they're asking them, they're saying this, who am I, where do I belong, and what is my purpose? These are the three questions that every teenager that you come in contact with, that subconsciously they are asking these questions. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what is my unique purpose? And you know, every year we take hundreds of students to summer camp. And you guys, the reality of summer camp is summer camp is so expensive, but summer camp is life-changing. Because at summer camp, we always end up wrestling with these three questions. 
What does it look like to have your identity in Christ? What does it look like to belong to the family of God? And what does it look like to fulfill the purpose that God has for you in your life? And so students, they come back from summer camp and their lives have been radically transformed. But the problem with summer camp is it's so gosh darn expensive. It's so challenging. And so many of our students have to apply for scholarships. And so what we're doing this year is we're doing a summer camp blood drive that I, I want to invite all of you. I want to invite all of you to help us participate in this. We're partnering with a Christian organization that what they're going to do is for every single blood donor who donates blood on April 26th or April 29th, they are going to contribute $30 towards summer camp scholarships. You see, they can handle 150 donors on Sunday morning and they can handle 150 donors on Wednesday night. And so you add that together and we're looking at $9,000 of scholarship money to help send students on a camp that is going to change their lives on a camp where their hope quotient is going to be filled. And then they may overflow and impact their schools and their communities and their families and all over the place. And so what I want to invite you to do is if you love this church, if you love students, if you care about the next generation, then I want to encourage you and invite you to go sign up to be one of our blood donors. At the end of the service in the lobbies on the north and south end, you will see parents out there with a clipboard and a sign-up sheet. Please, Would you consider donating blood on either the 26th or the 29th and help send some students on a life-transforming experience where they too would have their hope quotient filled? Watch this video and then we'll pray. I grew up going to Thousand Pines Camp every year, summer and winter, all the way through elementary, junior high, and high school. Camp was the highlight of the year for me and my friends. God just does something when we can get away from the distractions of everyday life, and he did that for me. It was at camp when I was 16 that I fully surrendered my life path to the Lord, and I made a commitment to invest my life in full-time ministry. We also love that we now get to invest in our kids, and our kids have had the joy of going to camp and experiencing camp like I did. I've been going to summer camp since like fourth grade, so quite a few summer camps. I really felt that my uh, relationships with people and with God especially uh, have grown. I really felt God speaking to me, telling me about how these verses could be applied to my life. And um, I, I really think that I, it, I've grown since then. In the seventh grade, uh, I went to my first summer camp. had a really great conversation with one of my camp counselors and really realized that I am so capable through Jesus Christ and that I can do so much through Him. Through that, I've been able to come back to PFB and um, do justice ministries with um, high school and I've been able to go on mission trips and work with Traffic Free Pomona and so many other things. Last summer, I went to my first summer camp um, here through PFB. I saw one of my closest friends um, surrender and give their heart to Jesus. I made really close relationships, um, including with Christ, and I came home and I just, I felt so happy that Christ died for us and that He is in us all the time. One thing I love about camp is it teaches you more about God. It, it taught me more about how you can pray to God about at any time, anywhere, and about anything. Camp has really transformed my life. My life was transformed by camp. My life was transformed by camp. My life has been transformed by camp. My life was transformed by camp.
So as we close up this morning, I want to encourage you. We have the prayer room that's open right over there for anybody who wants prayer. I'll be up here in the front. Love to pray with you and just say hi. Uh, and I want to read a scripture over us. But before I read the scripture over us, just want to encourage you. If that impacted you, if God has moved in your life, if you've been filled with his hope, would you consider signing up to donate blood so that students could go to camp and students could have a similar experience and see God do unimaginable things in their life. So thank you in advance for doing that. Here's what I'd love to do as we close up. I'd love to read again Romans 15, verse 13. And something I invite the students to do a lot is, is just hold out your hands like this. So I want to invite you right now to hold out your hands like this. And, and what you're saying is, God, I recognize that I need your hope. I recognize that I'm incapable on my own. I recognize that here's all of me and you see all of me. You see the real me, you know me. So this is who I am and and may you fill me. Let me read these words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for this family. Thank you for these friends. Thank you, Jesus, for being here and showing up. And as we hold out our hands to you, we recognize that we need you, God. So God, we raise our expectations this week and we are so excited to see the way that you overflow us with hope and that others see the hope in us and want you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, go in peace, thank you.